welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over a big UFC 280 pay-per-view card taking place in Abu Dhabi. In the main event, we got the lightweight title on the line as Charles Oliveira is looking to recapture the gold after getting it stripped from him due to missing weight in his last fight. He's going up against his toughest test to date in Islam Mahachev, the pupil of the famed Khabib Nurmagomedov. Very much looking forward to seeing how that fight shakes out from a stylistic uh, perspective as well as a betting perspective as well, which I'll obviously be breaking down for you guys later in this podcast. In the co-main event, we got the bantamweight title on the line as Aljamain Sterling looks to defend his title against former bantamweight king TJ Dillashaw so a very interesting stylistic matchup there as well but this card has straight fire throughout it the fight before that we got Piotr Jan going up against Sugar Sean O'Malley Matoush Gamrat going up against Benio Dariush and starting off the main card we have a very pivotal women's flyweight belt between number one ranked Katlin Chukagian taking on rising prospect Manon Firo should give us a very entertaining fight not to mention another pivotal matchup in the men's welterweight division as Bilal Muhammad takes on another rising prospect and undefeated fighter Sean Brady so you're going to be wanting to tune in to the entirety of this, uh, this pay-per-view and the prelims because every single fight has a lot of fire on it as well. And just a reminder for you guys, 10 a.m. Eastern is the start time for this card. So it's going to be nice and early, especially if you're on the West Coast. It'll be a 7 a.m. Pacific start time. But I know a lot of people that are jacked up for uh, coffee and combat. And that's exactly what I'm going to be as well, not to mention it is my birthday that day, so I'll be getting crunk nice and early with you guys, and keywords there with you guys, because I'll also be doing a birthday watch party live on this channel. As soon as the fights kick off, I'm going to be getting crunk with you guys, drinking, burning, whatever it is, for six straight hours, so make sure you guys join me for that. Come on through, hit that like and subscribe below, and then hit the bell notification so you know exactly when I've when i'm going to be going live not just for that but i got a ton of other great content that i drop on this channel so there's your reminder for that all right before we get into the breakdowns let's do the transparency part of this podcast which is always going over over the last picks the last uh bets from the last event um because when lose or draw we always showcase how we're doing and lately your boy's been killing it I mean, we're on a 10-1 winning streak over the last uh, 11 UFC events or Dana White Contender Series events as well. That's obviously chunked in there. The only loss was that one-unit loss that we had uh, on the Contender Series on Heatra Jacoby, but it's been straight fire otherwise. All right, so the last event was the UFC Vegas 62 card. Lock of the night play, we'll start off with that, was the main event. Uh, Alexa Grasso goes out there and clean sweeps on two of the judges' scorecards, I believe. Uh, she he wins that fight pretty handily against Viviani Araujo. Five units at minus 200 cashes us for plus 2.5 units. A lock of the night play hits. Very happy about that. And uh, a solid underdog play as well. One unit at plus 130 on Jacob Malkoon comes through as well. Uh, I believe there was some sort of injury for Nick Maximov. However, even if he didn't have the injury, I think we'll see Malkoon go out there and do exactly what, have, what he would have done. So please keep giving me Jacob Malkoon at underdog odds and I'll be hopefully cashing him more often than not. All right, we only had L's after that. We had three L's as well, so let's go over that as well. One unit, uh, sorry, minus one unit at plus 180 on Misha Serkinov. Bad bet there. You know, I really thought he'd be able to handle that early onslaught, drag the fight to the ground and get his jiu-jitsu going. He didn't even get close and I'm not going to be that guy chirping over here saying that I got value on the plus 180. I didn't. It sucked. Misha Serkinov washed, never trusting him, him again, and he likely won't even be in the UFC any further as well, because I think he's on a five-fight losing streak at this point in time, so not a good look. Also, we took a one-unit loss in the main, or sorry, co-main event uh, with Cub Swanson. I had one unit at plus 177. It might be up for him as well. You know what I mean? wasn't really reacting well to the leg kicks of Jonathan Martinez. And Martinez went out there and got his third finish inside the UFC. Ugh, to get finished by Jonathan Martinez is a big red flag. And I think that Cub Swanson will forever be blacklisted for me as well. But solid uh, shout out to anybody that took the chalk on the Lonzo Menafield and Jonathan Martinez sides. Y'all cashed with relative ease. So good shit to you guys. 
And then lastly, the reason why I try to stay away from parlays and the reason I don't make parlays my lock of the plays anymore is perfect example because shit like this could happen. Victor Henry goes out there and gets absolutely wiped by a half yellow sun cell over 15 minutes. A beautiful counter striking from a sun cell, even though he was on his back foot for the majority of that fight. He was really connecting well on Victor Henry, hurting him on numerous occasions. And then even the other leg ended up flopping as well, which was the under one and a half in the Dushko Todorovic and Jordan Wright fight. Didn't look good. You know, I mean, it did not look good, uh, especially with how slow and the fact that both guys were looking for grappling right off the jump. Uh, and I believe it didn't end up cashing uh, because it went one minute past or two minutes past the under one and a half round mark. So, all in all, minus 1.21 units on that parlay. And uh, as an overall from that card, uh, plus 0.59 units. So only a 6% ROI that night. Again, happy to end up in the green. Happy that my overconfidence, uh, I don't even want to call it overconfidence, my bundles of confidence on Alexa Grasso allowed me to pull the trigger at five units there so that we still ended up on the profit side of that fight. So like I said, we've hit now 10 out of our last 11 events. I believe it's for a, a profit of 23, 24 units. I could be off on that, but uh, for a 33% ROI. So I'm very happy with the streak that I'm on, especially even dating back to April, have been absolutely killing it since then as well and hope to continue the good times. And if you want to be a supporter of the good times, the best way to do so is make sure you guys hit up the Patreon link is in the description below you guys get my picks as soon as i drop them the best bets and props article also goes over every single matchup on the card i give my best bet my best prop uh, the best hedge opportunity as well in case you're too confident on one side as well as a quick live betting uh uh, synopsis of what you should be thinking going into each fight if you want to bet it from a live betting perspective uh, a great discord community as well and something that i'll be doing this week as i've been doing for every pay-per-view event pretty much is the pay-per-view parlay for the patrons which is pretty much i i put out a survey out there and i allow all the patrons to pick their four favorite legs on this card that's money lined or over unders and uh, whatever the four most popular spots are at the end of the week i'll be putting five percent of my patreon take on that parlay should that parlay hit i send off the winnings to one random patreon member so if you want to be a part of that make sure you guys sign up to the patreon link in the description below there you guys go and it's not just for the picks it's for the support of drop-in content nearly every single day for you guys as well at a measly five dollars a month you guys continue to allow me to do this on a full-time basis and for that i will forever be grateful and will always try to put out the highest quality and most accurate breakdowns that i can always drop for you guys so there you guys go all right Let's not waste any more time. We got 13 fights to get through. First of which goes down in the women's bantamweight division. We got minus 295 on Carol Hosa and plus 245 to return on the 40-year-old Lena Landsberg. Now, I wish I got to tape a little bit earlier on this matchup. It looks like I've got something caught in my eye real quick, right off the jump. What a great way to start the podcast, but uh with with uh with uh, lena landsberg here 40 years old coming in against this prospect in carol hosa who's you know coming off a loss her first loss in the uh ufc she dropped the ball against sarah mcmahon but lena landsberg hoping to take that heat from carol hosa and try to make one last run to the top of the division unfortunately i just think it's a little bit too late and i think that was on full display in her last fight against Pani kianzad who i think is not as good as carol hosa if i'm being honest we saw Patty Kianza just absolutely beat Lena Landsberg to the punch there, had great output, had some great work in the clinch. Uh, she got dropped one time, but she managed to re recover very well, get back into the fight, and then start to take over once again. She gets her hand raised via decision that night. Carol Hosa should be able to do the same thing, if not more effectively. You know, she has great output. You, on numerous occasions, she's landed over 100 significant strikes. She stays very active with her jab. She throws her one-two very well. She has mean uh, uh, body work when she's inside the clinch as well. And I think that that's where Lena Landsberg thrives, right? I think that when she can get into the clinch, she uses her elbows and knees very effectively. But I think the power that she's going to be feeling from Carol Hosa here will start to deter Lena Landsberg 
the longer that this fight goes as well. So I also wouldn't even be surprised to see Hosa try to take a grapple-heavy approach, look to take Landsberg to the ground and just nullify that elbow game that she has. And from there, she should be able to do good work from on top. I think Hosa is a very solid prospect. She trains at the same gym that Jessica Andrade has been uh, famous for. I believe it's called PR Valley Tudo. I can't recall what the PR means, but it's PRVT. But it's one of the better known gyms uh, in Brazil, especially for women's MMA. They got a handful of women coming out of that gym that can compete at a very high level. And Carol Hosa is the next one of them, who I think could absolutely you know, get up there and, and make it into the top 10, the top five, and possibly get a title shot in the next couple of years. So I think that this is a great matchup for Hosa to go out there. I think the chalk is more than worthy of it as well. You know, if I got to tape on this a little bit earlier, I probably would have made her my lock of the night play at minus 225. Minus 295, it's getting closer to, let's look if we can parlay this with something else on the card and possibly get a better line on it. Again, I don't mind playing the minus 300 chalk straight up, but I know to the the layman, they don't really want to be paying that kind of chalk. They want a little bit of a bigger payoff for any bet that they make, so I completely understand that. But I do like Carol Hosa here, and I think she wins this fight via decision, which at minus 115, not a bad spot either. All right, let's get to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about Muhammad Mokayev going up against Canadian Malcolm Gordon. Minus 1850, or sorry, I should say minus 850 on Mokayev. He might as well be minus 1850 uh, going up against Malcolm Gordon at plus 600. Mokayev had a, you know, a tougher test than people were expecting him to have last time around against Charles Johnson. However, his relentless wrestling style and his cardio, which was showing off that fight, really paid off for him. He was able to get down Johnson on numerous occasions. And even though Johnson was doing a good job in terms of nullifying the success that Makayev was having from on top, he just could not stop that relentless pace. That is what Makayev looks like at his best, right? Gets his grappling going, gets his opponents to the ground, smashes them from on top, looks for a submission, whatever it may be. Or in the case of his Charles Johnson fight, looking to just grind him out. Uh, you know, that was a big question mark going into the Johnson fight because we knew Johnson could likely keep up with him, but could he get off his own uh, offense and his own damage to even get the judges to think about judging the fight in his uh, favor? But he could not get anything going. On the Malcolm Gordon side, you know, he he got that uh, Dennis Bondaire injury finish or win earlier this year. It's a good one from there. He got to defeat Francisco Figueredo. Solid win from there. But I think that we will see him go back to being that guy that a lot of people expect to just be a, a, a walkover. And given the fact that he's taken this fight against Mokhaev, especially on that side of the world, uh, we have to give him credit. You know, a lot of people would expect him to kind of look for a different path, especially on a two-fight winning streak, you know, try to get an easier matchup. But Mokhaev, uh, very, very difficult matchup for him. Gordon, his wrestling, his grappling, probably the better part of his game, but I think he's going to be outdone in both aspects of that uh, of the MMA game should he look to take the, uh, this fight to the ground. Mokhaev will be grappling him and i think he is safe enough with his jujitsu that he won't get caught with anything by gordon and then on the ground i think mokayev can pass when he needs to get to the dominant position when he needs to and just tko uh, malcolm gordon from on top so the, the over under is even set at uh, one and a half with the under being minus 105 at least at the time of this recording i think you know that's probably going to take some steam come fight time but i do think that mokai will go out there and run through malcolm gordon relatively easy in this fight so uh mokai inside the distance minus 200 i think it's it's worthy of it honestly i would rather parlay that than parlay is minus 850 and the last thing i'll say about this matchup if you took mokai inside the distance against charles johnson and now you don't trust him to win fights inside the distance you know, your priorities are all messed up there. Charles Johnson, much better, much more durable, and much more uh, resilient than what Malcolm Gordon is going to be bringing to the table this weekend. So go ahead, take Mokhaev inside the distance. I think you'll be cashing that ticket regardless. All right, next matchup, we got a middleweight fight here. Very excited about the striker's delight. We got Armin Petrosian coming in as a minus 205 hundred, our favorite, and uh, AJ Dobson coming in as a plus 175 underdog. Now, starting off the AJ Dobson side, he had a very successful stint on the contender series where he was able to finish his opponent with about 30 seconds left in that first round. I believe it was via rear naked choke, but his opponent missed weight pretty bad that night or the, the, the day before that. 
and it looked like he was wearing on him in the fight as well. But uh, a lot of success from AJ Dobson on his regional scene came from getting his opponents out of there ASAP. He has big power in his hands, and he has a decent enough jujitsu game to hang with the guys that he was fighting on the regional scene. But his wrestling, you know, defensively speaking, looked very good in that first round against Jacob Malkoon. But then that pressure and that pace that we saw from Malkoon this past weekend was alive and well in that fight against AJ Dobson a couple of months ago and uh, that's why we saw Malkoon get the win the way that he did but this one if there is grappling I think we'll see it from the Dobson side I just don't think that we'll see him be super effective with it we've seen Petrosian get taken down time and time again over his last several fights but he does a good job in terms of being really good with his submission defense so I'd be surprised if we see Dobson lock up any sort of submission and then in terms of getting back to his feet he does a very good job with that as well and I think once this fight is on the feet yes you got to respect Dobson's uh, punching power and the ability to starch opponents but I think that Petrosian is the better technical striker here and he should be the one that would land the better shots and eventually find that chin and get AJ Dobson out of there so the spot that I like the most is probably the under two and a half which I'm expecting to be chalky anywhere around that minus 180 to minus 200 range but I think I would rather take the under two and a half than actually take uh, Petrosian here on his money line because I'm expecting him to go out there and get the finish regardless at least with the under two and a half, you can bank on, you know, getting bailed out in case Dobson is the one that lands the big punch to put Petrosian down and out. So uh, I'm going to go Petrosian though, because I do think he is the better fighter. I think he has better credentials, especially when it comes to the kickboxing realm. And then with his power and his speed, I think he's going to be able to get the better of Dobson probably within 10 minutes, within the first two rounds. I think he should be able to find that chin of Dobson and put him out. So uh, Armin Petrosian inside the distance that's minus 105 I'm completely okay with that but I think we'll see a, a round of feeling each other out and then Petrosian should really start to let it go in the second round and then from there he should be able to get his hand raised all right, next up, we got a welterweight bout ahead of us, and it's going to be between Abubakar Nurmagomedov. He's going up against Gadzi Omargadziev, minus 175 on Nurmagomedov and plus 150 on Gadzi. Now, uh, very intriguing fight here, right? I always find it funny whenever we get Russians fighting each other, especially inside the UFC, right? Like, it's not often, although both of these guys are from different sects of, and regions of, uh, of Russia. It's still interesting to see them always get matched up. Now, both guys, uh, well, actually, let's start off on the Gadzi side, who showcased a lot of, you know, solid grappling on the regional scene, usually able to get his opponents into that crucifix position, rain down big shots and get the TKO stoppage that way. Um, but like his striking a lot, leaves a lot to be desired. It's all just big winging hooks, power shots, hoping that he can close that distance by either knocking his opponent down with those big shots or using that to get his opponent to kind of flinch on top and then he can change levels, get under the hips of his opponent and then drag them to the ground where he does his best work. But... Abubakar has shown you know a lot of inconsistencies with his skill set I've seen him look horrible I've seen him look too lackadaisical I've seen him look amazing like he did against Jordan uh Jared Gordon uh, sorry Jared Gooden in his last fight where he won the two first two rounds probably just off of striking he had a very crisp jab he was very solid with his output and very consistent in sticking in the face of Gooden and then in that third round he went to his bread and butter of the takedowns looking to get him to the ground and then controlling him I believe he controlled him for the last four minutes of that round so solid work from him there so the reason I end up leaning on the Abubakar side here is because I think he has a little bit more of a complete game also, I think that he can contest uh, and and stop some takedowns here should Omar Gadziev look to go that route. You know, I think that the, the jabbing and, and the better technical striking that we'll see from Abu Bakar will be the reason why he, uh, well, one, why he's favored here and why he should end up getting his hand raised. Am I trusting him at minus 175? No. The guy's just too inconsistent. So I'd rather just sit on the outside and just see, you know, can he put together a couple consistent performances before we go out there and um, trust him as a big favorite? We all remember him being too lackadaisical on the ground against uh, David Zavada two fights ago and then getting choked for his troubles. And also the other part of it is the consistency in terms of getting inside the cage. He got into the UFC, I believe, November of 2019 and has only competed twice. Not a good look to me. But I do think he is the overall better fighter here. If you gave me closer to minus 120, I'd probably take the shot on him. But I do think that his superior striking will allow him to stay safe on the feet and then possibly even mix in some takedowns of his own later in this fight. I do think he has the better cardio as well. 
that should probably be the reason he wins this fight. So give me Nurmagomedov via decision at plus 125, and I'm more than happy with that outcome. All right, next up, another featherweight bout that we got coming up here between Zubera Tuhugov, who's coming in as a minus 155 favorite, and Lucas Almeida, who's coming in as a plus 135 underdog. Now, Zubera Tuhugov, another guy who I would like to see a little bit more uh, consistently and more active inside the cage, but we just get him every now and then. And, uh, you know, another guy who I've seen very inconsistent performances from as well. Uh, he has a decent enough striking game where we saw him really showcase it against Ricardo Hamosh, uh, a guy that, you know, uh, in Hamosh uh, was highly touted coming into the UFC. You know, he would always be a massive favorite over his fighter, uh, his opponents. And then he ended up taking a couple of and now people are hopping off that Hamosh train. But I think that Hamosh still has a lot of potential and that win for Tuhugov should be given the respect that it actually deserves. Uh, Tuhugov, similar to Nurmagomedov or uh, Abubakar, I should say, a very consistent jab that he can throw out there when he's on his game, good movement. And then he does a good job in terms of mixing in his takedowns, which I think is going to be the ultimate deciding factor here against Lucas Almeida. Now, Almeida, big power puncher, throws in combinations, stays consistent with his leg kicks, but I think he's going to struggle with that up-down game of Tuhugov and, uh, you know, dealing with that jab and then the potential of a takedown coming after that. I think that's going to be the ultimate kryptonite here for Almeida. Uh, you know, Almeida initially looked like a live dog to me because of the power and the consistency in which he throws his combinations, but I just think that he's going to get stuck up a little bit and might even start to get too gun-shy considering some of the takedown entries that we'll see uh, from Tuhugov and especially whether he can time them properly as well. I think that we'll see Tuhugov be very successful with that. So I'm going to lean Tuhugov here. Uh, again, another spot where I th was kind of hoping for a slightly better line, but I'm still expecting him to go out there and get that win. So I'll go Tuhugov and Tuhugov via decision, which currently sits at plus 165. I'd probably take a shot on that over the Almeida, or sorry, uh, over the money line, uh, but I expect Tuhugov to go out there and grind this fight out over 15 minutes all right next fight up this is a big one in the light heavyweight division both guys coming off solid victories in the last outings Volkan Uzdemir coming in as the plus 140 underdog Nikita Krilov coming in as the minus 160 favorite now Volkan Uzdemir is coming off a performance against Paul Craig where he managed to keep the fight upright for the majority of the the 15 minutes but even you know did mix it up a little bit on top when uh, Paul Craig was diving for those legs and looking for that Eminari role and looking for a way to get the fight to the ground and Volkan did a very good job in terms of staying patient waiting for his openings and then getting out of those bad positions and then just butchering Paul Craig again on on the feet on the flip side for Nikita Krilov on the same night on the same card he went out there and dispatched of Alexander Gustafson uh, in a different way than we've seen him fight since returning to the UFC in uh, I believe it was 2018 with with Krilov when he returned to the UFC you saw him take way more of a grapple heavy approach and I think that was very uh, smart of him considering pretty much every single fight that he had uh, before the Glover Teixeira fight had never seen the third round let alone seen a decision in 20 plus MMA fights that is absolutely insane but then he went on a stretch of three straight decision fights where he went one and two, but we saw his grapple-heavy approach on full display. He sells out for the takedowns. He just, you know, he they almost look desperate at times. And I think if there's a, a guy that can stop those takedowns, uh, they will likely have the, uh, the advantage there by by landing the better strikes on the feet, especially if they're the better technical striker. And I think that's what we're actually getting here with Volkan Uzdemir. Uzdemir showcases an 86% takedown, uh, takedown defense rate, and he is one of the harder guys to take down because of uh, his uh, ability to anticipate shots from his opponents, as well as digging underhooks whenever he has uh, getting into those positions or even up against the cage. I think Krilov is going to struggle mightily to get this fight to the ground, and he might might be able to land one or two takedowns, but I do think that we've seen good get-ups from Uzdemir as well, which makes me believe he'll be able to have this fight in his range, which is the striking range for the majority of this fight. And then from there, his consistency with a leg kick, his consistency with throwing good combinations and powerful combinations will likely get the better of Nikita Krilov. I think a knockout is on the table here, but I think that we'll see, you know, the vast majority of this fight kind of gets stuck up against the cage. And although Krilov may not be able to land takedowns and he might have a good chunk of control time, I think whenever they are back out at distance, we can trust Uzdemir to land the bigger and more effective strikes. I could also see the reckless nature of Nikita Krilov coming back and biting him in the ass here. 
I think that will see Volkan uh, a counter effectively, maybe even drop him a couple times. But I do like that money line price on him at plus 140 because given his takedown defense, given his superior technical striking, you know, this is closer to a 50-50 fight than it is what the odds currently indicate. Uh, you know, that I think it's just over 60% in Krilov's favor here, and I think that's incorrect. So I like Volkan Uzdemir here. Uh, by decision is currently plus 400. By knockout is plus 300. You bet both. Hopefully you end up on the profit side regardless. But better way of taking it, and without even losing any money, hopefully, as long as he wins, is by taking that money line at plus 140, because I think that's a great line here. So give me Volkan Uzdemir via decision, plus 400. Again, I expect it to be slow-paced because of the grappling attempts of Krilov. But once we get back out into space, the damage that Uzmir should accrue uh, should get him the nod in this fight. All right, next up, middleweight belt here between Mahmoud Muradov, who's coming in as a plus-170 underdog, and Kyle Bohayo, who's coming in at minus-200. Now, it's so weird seeing Muradov as an underdog, plus-170 especially, right? We're so used to seeing him as a minus-500 favorite that... We kind of just, you know, we just automatically usually bet him at those spots. But now that he dropped the ball in his last fight against GM3, a lot of people are hopping off the train and jumping on the Bahayo train now. And we can't really take that scope of what have you done for me lately because that usually doesn't work out the greatest. But after running the tape, you know, it, it seems like if you can pressure Muradov effectively, whether it's with grappling, whether it's with just pressure and staying in his face and keeping him on his back foot, you could start to drain the gas tank of uh, Muradov and probably take over from there. Now, Muradov will absolutely be the better striker, technically speaking, in this matchup against Kyle Bahayo. But I think that Bahayo's karate style stance and blitzing in and out of uh, movement should keep him safe from the big shots of Muradov. But that should allow him to wait for that opportunity to blitz in, get a hold of Muradov, rough him up in the uh, the, the grind of the clinch uh, up against the cage, and maybe even land some takedowns here where he could do some decent work from on top. Bahayo... I think has a sketchy gas tank as well, but he's shown in numerous fights that he can kick it into that extra gear when he needs to, especially in the clinch and grappling realm, which is where I think he'll have the advantage and will ultimately be able to keep this fight for the majority of 15 minutes. So minus 200 though is not sexy enough for me to take that chalk on Bohagio here, especially at the striking disadvantage he'll likely be at. And if Muradov's gas tank doesn't fail him the way that I expect to get to, uh, you know, maybe Bohagio doesn't pressure him. Maybe Bohagio is just content with just letting him rest in certain spots and being competitive over 15 minutes. That's where Muradov will be um, will be live. That's where Muradov uh, could pull off the upset. So for me, this is a fight where I'm likely just going to sit back and watch. But uh, I do think Bohayo, with his grinding style, with his backpacking style, especially if he can get the back of Muradov, he should be able to grind out precious minutes here and get some solid control time, maybe even get some damage, which will likely get him his hand raised via decision in this spot. So give me uh, Bohayo, Bohayo via decision. Um, but this is a sit back and wait for me fight. Maybe even the over two and a half, if you can get a good enough number on that, that's probably probably the best way to go for this matchup all right next up i believe this is the prelim headliner and is a high stakes welterweight belt here possibly could give us our next uh competitor for a number one contender fight um you know especially i believe there's a logjam at welterweight now because of leon edwards beating kamar usman the way that he did um but Bilal muhammad coming in as a plus 125 underdog going up against rising prospect Sean Brady, who's coming in at minus 145. Now, this is a, a very intriguing matchup between two guys who prefer to grapple to get their success, right? Blah Muhammad has recently been taken a page from the Colby Covington and Kamar Usman uh, playbook by just using cardio, movement, and wrestling to get his hand raised in the majority of his matchups. Against Vicente Luque, we saw it on full display. You know, he used his movement to kind of keep uh, Vicente Luque from landing the big strikes and getting his combinations going. And then at the op most opportune moments, Bilal will look for that takedown, which he would likely get and more often than not did get in that fight against Luque. And he was able to control him from on top. Luque, you know, off his back looked very demoralized, had no nothing to give to him. You know, no real submission attempts, no real working to get back to his feet either enough on a consistent basis. Uh, we saw it against Wonderboy Thompson. You know, we saw it against Diego Lima. Like we saw 
plenty of fights where Bilal was taking that Colby Covington and Kamaru Usman style approach to get his wins. Now he's going up against a guy in Sean Brady who I don't know if it'll work, right? I think it'll have to be Bilal Muhammad landing strikes and staying consistent with his volume and his output from the outside to get his hand raised in this matchup because Sean Brady, very difficult to take down, right? Very, very difficult. I think there's only been one guy who's been able to get him down in his four UFC fights to date. I think he's going to struggle to get uh, Bilal, or sorry, uh, Bilal will struggle to get Sean Brady to the ground here. And then on the feet, Sean Brady, a lot of his striking comes from uh, uh, power style combinations, likes to throw big hooks and likes to throw big punches, looks to get his opponent out of there with those shots. So uh, I think that Bilal may not eat those the best either. But I am expecting this fight to get tied up in the clinch position. I think Bilal is going to try to test his might to see if he can get Sean Brady to the ground. But I think that's going to be where he runs into trouble. Because Sean Brady does a great job in terms of transitioning from takedowns to getting the back of his opponents and then tripping them and then just holding on to them. He was able to do it against a high-level grappler and a high-level BJJ player like Michael Chiesa. And I think that Sean Brady can do the exact same thing here to Bilal Muhammad. My concern is... I like the Kobe Covington and Kamaru Usman style that Bilal Muhammad is fighting with. Now I just get to see him try to do it against a grapple-heavy fighter like Sean Brady. Last time we saw Bilal do this was against Damian Maya, right? He was able to stuff 21 takedowns, or strike 20 of 21 takedowns, and then on the feet he was just able to land enough strikes to get his hand raised there because all Damian Maya was doing was just trying to get the fight to the ground not landing any significant strikes or not enough significant strikes but Bilal will be eating damage here from Brady and then I think that Brady if he wants to get this fight to the ground he might not even need to get it there he could just get the back and just hold on to Bilal and keep uh, Matt returning him and, and just getting that control time there so um for me, this is a, a sit-back-and-watch spot, especially for Brady going up against a guy like a, a high-action and a high-cardio guy like Bilal Muhammad. And if he can pass this test and look good doing so over 15 minutes, I'll ha have even more respect for the guy. So give me Sean Brady. Sean Brady by decision, which currently sits at plus 150. Um, but yeah, I think the strength and grappling of uh, Brady will be too much for Bilal here to get his hand raised. All right, that takes us to the main card quick reminder here for you guys to make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe if you have not already that is the best way to support your boy please do so drop a comment if you so please let me know how shitty my picks are if that's the approach you want to take or if you've been tailing me for the last several months let me know how much money you've been making as well so i appreciate that uh and then lastly just a quick plug for the patreon the best way to support your boy Link is in the description below. Five bucks a month. Cancel at any time. No long-term commitments. I promise you guys will enjoy your time in there as well. All right. First fight of the night. Big step up here from Manol Firo coming in as a minus 205 favorite. Going up against one of my favorite fighters to bet on, Catlin Chukagian, who comes in at plus 175. Now, Catlin has been cashing multiple tickets for me over the last couple years now especially since 2019 you know i was able to catch a big underdog ticket on her against cynthia calvillo had her as my lock of the night play against jennifer maya uh and even against amanda hebus i think i had a two or three unit play on her there as well very you know consistent fighter we know what we're going to get from her we know we're going to get output uh you know solid crisp st strikes down the middle you know she's very good in terms of making her opponents react very poorly to getting hit you know, just go back and watch the Amanda Hebos fight. And uh, some people may say that it was a highly debated, controversial uh, decision there. But, uh, you know, I don't think Hebos did much with the control that she was able to get when she did get the fight to the ground. And anytime they were back on the feet, Chukagian was just popping her head back with like a Pez dispenser. And she looked very good doing so. She just kept just bouncing that head back and uh again her striking just look looking very good and her movement just makes it so hard for opponents to kind of gauge when she's going to come in and strike and uh, when they can throw their own strikes without getting hit in return unfortunately for trukagian though She's going up against a Manofiro here who kind of does the same thing that Chukagian does, but with more emphasis, with more power and more efficiency. And I think that might be the difference maker here. I'm just not so hot. I'm betting her at minus 200 though, because Chukagian can make fights very close. And this is my other uh, concern here. I wouldn't be surprised to see Chukagian to try to get this fight to the ground because she is the better jujitsu player here. But 
You've been seeing some great things from Manofiro in terms of stopping takedowns, uh, redirecting her opponent's momentum, and then ending up on top, which I think that is something that she can do here. But I also think that she'll end up being the stronger fighter here. So in those clinch positions, I think it will be very easy for her to get out of those bad spots against Shukagin. And then once they're back at distance, I think with her style of throwing straight shots as well with as much power as she does, I think the judges will likely favor that more than what Shukagin is able to land here. So... Um, question marks about the the line i do think it deserves to be slightly closer but i think the line is relatively accurate like like i with everything considered and considering how they fight and how i see this fight playing out in my head i'd love to take an underdog shot on chukagian but i just think that she'll be eating the the worst of the shots here and it, it will definitely score better on the judges scorecards and this will all come down to how mano deals also with the, with the possible grapple heavy approach that chukagian may be looking to take but from what i've been seeing thus far i have been impressed with uh Fioro's game from an overall perspective so give me Fioro give me Fioro by decision which is minus 110 much better line than her money line um yeah I'd kind of be surprised if she actually finishes Trugagin you know Trugagin got finished by Jessica Andrade by that beautiful body shot uh Fioro has some solid power as well but I think uh we'll, we'll see her uh land enough strikes here to get her hand raised via decision all right, next up, big lightweight belt here between Benio Dariush coming in as a plus 165 underdog, minus 195 the return on Matoush Gamrat, who's been on an absolute killing streak since he dropped that split decision, which a lot of people were thinking was controversial against Gurum Kutataladze in his UFC debut, but since then has not looked back, has had tremendous performances, finishing some high-level dudes, and now he is fighting the highest-level dude to date. Now, uh, solid performance against Armand Surukian in his last fight uh, from Gamrat. Again, another highly uh, um, debated decision in that matchup. But the fact that Gamrat was going takedown for takedown, scramble for scramble against a high-level fighter like Armand Surukian showcases to me that he could have his own success here against Benio Dariush, who's really been taking that grapple-heavy approach to get a lot of his wins in his recent fights, right? The Tony Ferguson fight, we saw him get takedowns without any issue and control that fight relatively easily. The Carlos Diego Fajera fight, always managing to get the back of Fajera and, and just controlling him there. Um, there was another one recently that's escaping my mind where he was continuously able to get that control time against his opponents. Now, Benil, over the last several years, we've been seeing in a, a confidence uh, improvement in terms of his striking. Like, technically speaking, it's getting better as well, but the power in which he throws his kicks and his punches just demands respect from them, and he's able to kind of intimidate them and then either put his power on them or look for the takedown and get them to the ground there. But I think that rec recklessness will likely play against him here against the technically better Matosh Gamra. You know, like I said, Matausha has shown that he can grapple with the best of them. So if Darius looks to try to get this into the grappling realm, I think we'll see Gamera be safe in those spots. And then on the feet, I think Gamera is a cleaner and crisper striker, and he should be able to ding up uh, Benio Darius whenever he tries to just march in and blitz in with the reckless approach. So I do lean Gamera here. Line is a little bit wide for me, right? Because even though he is technically the better fighter, in my opinion, it's just that crazy wild style of Darius that gives me some hesitancy in terms of laying chalk against him. You know, if this was Gamera closer to minus 150, minus 140, I'd be a little bit more inclined and in taking a small play on him there on his money line. But the spot that actually intrigues me the most is the under two and a half. Darius always brings in that crazy style. And I think that Gamera is that perfect... Uh, uh matchup for him where he can probably well i think that gamma will have the the advantage in terms of the cardio and then i think it can take advantage of those uh those flaws and mistakes that Darius might end up making by being too desperate for takedowns or being too desperate with landing his power shots on the feet so I like Gamrat here to put together a much better plan altogether. And I also think that he can end up finding the finish himself. Whether it's a club and sub or whether it's just a club and drum, I think he'll be able to catch Darius eventually and uh, and finish the fight after that. So the under two and a half at plus 160, which is the last line I saw that, has my intrigue. But even uh, Gamrat inside the distance at plus 250, I think is a great line as well. But uh, I'm thinking Gamrat, maybe Gamrat by KO. I think I saw that plus five. 500 um but the under the under will more than likely be my play here just a one unit shot uh hoping for violence and hoping that we get that madman dare you style that we've come so accustomed to or become so accustomed to so give me gamrot gamrot inside the distance let's go
All right. Business continues to pick up as we take on a bantamweight fight here between Pyotr Jan coming in as a minus 275 favorite and Sugar Sean O'Malley, who's at plus 230. Very intriguing to see Jan's line continue to drop here and that confidence on the O'Malley side continue to grow from a lot of the betting community. But I understand it, right? You guys have been watching me for a while. You guys know that I think that Piotr Jan has a very slow starting style where he can get behind, but he needs those extra main event rounds or those championship rounds to get back ahead and, and either finish his opponents or really start to pick it up later and demoralize and, and just, just wreck his opponents later in his fights, which is what he normally does. Sean O'Malley, you know, he'll have the range here. He likely... Uh, can stay busy enough from the outside with his kicks and his, and his and his striking, which could get him up on output, which could get him up on numbers, which could make him very competitive in this fight. My concern here, though, is if you're looking to take the Sean O'Malley side, is what if Peter Jan just says, fuck it, let's take this fight to the ground. That's where Sean has shown the vast majority of his weaknesses. Why don't we, as the Russian the guy who has shown solids wrestling in his in his past fights and previous fights, maybe not so much in the UFC, but definitely on the regional scene. Why not take your why not take the wrestling approach? Get this fight to the ground. You have it in your favor right off the jump. You know you have the wrestling advantage. You know you have the grappling advantage. Let's use that right off the jump. That's what I'm hoping to see here from Purion. And if this line continues to drop and you give me minus 250 even on Purion, minus 220, I will likely pull the straight up trigger on him there. Because like minus 300 to minus 400 then you start to be like okay we know that he relies a little bit too much on his striking at times and if he can't get a knockdown or if he can't land enough sugar sean could possibly make an argument that he deserves to win two out of the three rounds but i think that at minus 250 minus 225 i don't mind taking that shot um because of the potential wrestling upside of that as well and again people are going to be you know most casuals and laymans might be like hey like who cares about the number if you think he's going to wrestle bet him at any number that's not how it works that's not how i've been on this crazy run over the last six seven months it's it's it doesn't work like that i've been holding in on possible outcomes you know a fight can play out many different ways but i'm hoping it pays up plays out the way that i think especially if we get better odds on it so uh, I'm still going to go Piotr Jan. I'm going to go Piotr Jan by decision at minus 110. You know, I think we'll see O'Malley stay in this fight long enough. You know, maybe uh, we get a slow pace first round. But in the second and third rounds, we see Jan get the takedown and just do good enough work from on top that O'Malley can stay in the fight. But Jan is still dominating that fight throughout. So give me Jan. Jan via decision minus 110. Um, but I'll be keeping my eye on that line because I know there are a lot of people that are taking that underdog shot on Sean O'Malley and I'm completely okay with it. I completely understand the approach. I just don't think it's going to end up working out for them. Next fight up. Big one here in the bantamweight division because it is for the title we got champion Aljamain Sterling coming in as a minus 175 favorite going up against the bantamweight or former bantamweight king TJ Dillashaw who's coming in as a plus 150 underdog. Now stylistically speaking this is a very intriguing fight right. Aljamain Sterling picked up his first like legitimate win over Piotr Jan last time around as he was able to mix it up and get it into the grappling realm get the back of Piotr Jan and just grind out that fight you know. Aljamain Sterling is one of the best backpacks in the game in terms of getting that position and keeping it on the feet still leaves a lot to be desired right a lot of kicks a lot of range seeking uh strikes a lot of big power so that i can close that distance and then get that grappling going but if he can't get that grappling going i think that's where tj can really start to take over and be very competitive in this matchup tj has a solid wrestling background and we've seen his uh, wrestling game work pretty well for him even on a bum knee like he had against Corey sandagan in his last fight I think that Dillashaw will likely be the better striker here. And I think that his takedown defense can be good enough that he should be able to keep this fight on the feet. And then from there, he should be able to touch up Aljamain Sterling. I wouldn't even count on a, pot a potential knockout victory for TJ Dillashaw if he can just counter perf perfectly here and time the entry of Aljamain Sterling uh, correctly as well. 
I am expecting to see TJ Dillashaw with his full of facilities about him. You know, he's 35 years old, so he's definitely getting up there in age. But I still think he has enough in him to give us a peak performance that is required to beat a guy like Aljamain Sterling. So I love the underdog price here on the snake, TJ Dillashaw. I think that he has the perfect stylistic approach here to deal with Aljamain Sterling. You know, Piotr Jan, great wrestling as well, but he still managed to get tied up in certain spots. But, you know, Piotr Jan, minus 300, minus 400 favorite that night. We're getting underdog odds now on a guy that I feel like can contest in the grappling room and not allow TJ or Aljamain Sterling to rack up three rounds of control time by just controlling him on the mat. I think Dillashaw will be too hard to catch for Sterling. I think the movement of Dillashaw will allow him to keep pivoting and make it difficult for Sterling to get in on the hips or even get the back of Dillashaw. And then obviously the striking, I'm giving the advantage to Dillashaw as well. So I think we get hand new this weekend in the co-main event. And I think we'll see TJ Dillashaw get his hand raised via decision, plus 300 on the decision line. But like I said, I'm not counting out a potential knockout either, which currently sits at plus 500. I would rather just take the money line to cover both outcomes, but I still do think that we'll see Dillashaw get his hand raised and take that strap on home with him. There you guys go. All right, main event time. And the last opportunity for me to remind you guys, hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. Hit up the Patreon as well if you want to support your boy even more. Not to mention, hit that notification bell on YouTube because I'm dropping a good chunk of content for you guys this week so make sure you guys tune in for every single one of those and hit the like for every single one of those as well it's a big fight week so we got a lot of big content coming your way keep your eyes keep your eyes peeled for that all right main event here Charles Del Bronx Oliveira coming in as a plus 160 underdog minus 180 the return on Islam Mahachev very intriguing fight here a lot of people calling it ferguson versus khabib 2.0 however i will argue that this could be even more competitive than khabib and tony ferguson was likely going to end up being right islam Mahachev only has one loss on his career but since has looked unstoppable since that fight and charles Oliveira, 11 fight winning streak finishing the majority of his opponents as well the guy has looked tremendous and unstoppable We'll start off on the Charles Oliveira side where we see his confidence and his striking getting much better over his last several fights and mix that in with his deadly jiu-jitsu game. It's very difficult for his opponents to deal with it. Dustin Poirier forced to strike with Charles Oliveira and he just could not deal with the pressure. We see Charles Oliveira eventually get the back and choke him out. Justin Gaethje, another guy who didn't want to take that fight to the ground for obvious reasons and then just kept, you know, we saw him actually land a big strike against uh, Charles Oliveira and hurt him, but Charles always manages to rally back and get the submission. He hurts Justin Gaethje very bad, gets him into a submission, eventually chokes him out in that fight. The constant narrative in Charles Oliveira fights is that he keeps getting hurt, but manages to rally back and get the win uh, and finish himself. Happened in the Chandler fight as well when he first captured the title. Very difficult to deal with that man. But this is the big caveat that Makachev throws into to, to this fight, and which is why I'll ultimately be picking him in this matchup. The wrestling. The last time we've seen anybody try to wrestle with Charles Oliveira, it was Kevin Lee. And Kevin Lee held his own in the first two rounds. Like, it didn't look like Charles Oliveira had this dangerous, super deadly jiu-jitsu game once a, a heavy wrestler like Kevin Lee was on top of him. The, but then we know Kevin Lee, you know, he, he's very flaky with his cardio. His cardio tremendously drops off after that second round. And that's where we saw Charles uh, get that beautiful guillotine choke off a desperation takedown from Kevin Lee. But we know Makachev has five rounds in him. We know he won't even need the five rounds. He needs to outlast Charles for maybe a round and a half. And as long as he can consistently get that takedown and get that top position, he will demoralize and break Charles Oliveira and eventually get that finish probably in the third, maybe fourth round. I'd be surprised if the fight even starts the fourth round. I think that Islam will not be scared to take this fight to the ground as the last several opponents from Charles have been. And I think he'll be safe on top once he is able to get that takedown, which I know Charles will be inviting initially. But as Makachev subdues the uh the, the the submission game of charles Oliveira, and as he starts to pass guard and get into dominant position charles will be like oh shit i'm in some trouble now yes charles has the advantage in the striking but he won't have the benefit of keeping that fight in that realm because makachev will be landing takedowns here and makachev's striking is improving too but i am not going to say that that will be the reason he wins this fight 
The reason he wins this fight is that he'll get this fight to the ground. He'll be able to stop the uh, jiu-jitsu of Charles Oliveira, get into a dominant position, and just rain down hell and brimstone on Charles, eventually getting that finish probably in the second or third round. So no matter who wins, it's going to be Anu because it is a vacant title. But I do think that it's going to be Anu Islam Mahachev here. And I think we have entered officially the Mahachev era where where he can just rule this division for years and years to come. So give me Mahachev inside the distance, minus 105. I love his money line as well, where it's at at minus 180. Um, I don't even mind the under two and a half, which is last time I checked around minus 160. My concern is that it might take more than 12 and a half minutes for Mahachev to break Charles and truly assert his dominant position from on top and then get him out of there. The the the, the stat, which is why I love the under two and a half in all, in all of Charles Oliveira fights, is that in his 30 UFC fights, 26 of them have finished inside the distance or under two and a half, I should say. Sorry, I believe one of them finished 10 seconds after that two and a half mark as well. So maybe let's say 27 fights finished on uh, under two and a half. Uh, yeah, under two and a half in his 30 UFC fights. So violence is definitely on the table here. I love the fight doesn't go to decision as a parlay piece around that minus 500 line. Throw that in with, say, Carol Hosa. Maybe you might get uh, a solid bet there. But I do like, love Mahachev here. I think the steam and the popularity of Charles Oliveira is the reason why this line is as close as it is. And don't get me wrong, he's looked tremendous. But people fail to realize that he has not gone up against a wrestling threat in his last couple fights. I guess you can say Michael Chandler was a wrestling threat, but we know Michael Chandler just likes to go out there and throw bungalows as well. But he has not fought anybody like Mahachev since Kevin Lee, and Mahachev is much better than Kevin Lee with much better cardio as well. So give me Islam inside the distance and you let's go. There you guys go. The entire UFC 280 card broken down for you guys. Just a reminder, hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. Hit up the Patreon as well, five bucks a month. You can see all my picks first. You guys can see uh, the Discord community, which is amazing as well. Uh, a lot of great things on there. Best bets and props article too. You know, it's not just to see my picks, but it's also to support your boy to continue to do this thing on a full time basis. Content creation is a lot of work. And a lot of research goes into it as well. So that five bucks a month means a lot to your boy so that I can continue doing this and dropping quality breakdowns for you guys as well. All right, that is a wrap on the episode. Appreciate everybody once again. Good luck on your uh, your bets this week. And I hope to see you guys at all the live streams and all the content that I'll be dropping throughout the week as well. Good luck and peace out.